Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Be seated where you are. Me and this water are going to be close buddies today because my throat tried not to show up. Sunday morning service, but we're going to make it through. Church, I just wanted to tell you just how proud I was. I'm always proud of you, but how proud I was of you this last week. I don't know things, Trace. <laughs> I don't know if you saw or not, but on Thursday this last week, it's like we kicked off Go Local a few days early. On Thursday this last week, we had volunteers here at like 6 a.m. or something, like 6 in the morning, helping to make sure this space was prepared and was transformed for First Watch, a local organization who does a lot of work with students and is most well-known for their work of going into schools early in the mornings and praying over the hallways in those schools. We prepared this space so they could come in and have their annual fundraiser where they tell people about the incredible work that they do and of course raise funds and, and support and volunteers for what they're doing. And our volunteers were a huge part, our team, our staff, it was a huge part of making sure that happened. And then that same night, there was another local nonprofit that was having their annual fundraiser, Pregnancy Center of Toledo, who I know many of you have heard of, we've been partners with them for a long time, announced their name change actually to, they are now called Bella Vida to better represent the multiple arms that God has called them to be working in. And I showed up there and again, we had volunteers helping to make sure that day happened. We had people checking in and people helping get people seated. Our team went out and led people in an amazing choir sound of praise and of worship. And I just, I went home that night and I thought, what a cool thing to be so connected in our community, to be so a part of what God is doing in our city. There are so many things that God has happening in our city and in our community, and all of them don't move and flow through us, but we get to be part of so many of them because of the relationships that we have and because of your continual yes to show up, to show up in your giving, like Tracy said earlier, to show up in your volunteering, to get up early in the morning and stay up late at night, to go out and to make sure that someone else is celebrated and I know that that's going to continue this week as we head into Go Local and just getting out into all the different places and spaces. And if this is your first Go Local, I'm just telling you, you're about to have an incredible time. The thing I hear every year when people come back from Go Local is that they come back out of it and they say, I had no idea someone was doing X, Y, Z in our community. I'm like, isn't it amazing? We think we're showing up so that we can help someone else, but I always find that we leave so encouraged and strengthened by hearing the amazing things that God is doing in our community and in our city. So I'm really proud of it, really excited. I, I'm like, I, I wasn't intending to. I'm not repeating everything Tracy said. She did it incredibly, but I'm just personally really excited about Encounter Night this Friday night. So I wanna encourage you to come out and to be part of it. I've been praying over it and I believe that 
God has something that he just wants to move in us. And I believe he wants to speak something to us. I think something incredible is gonna happen. I think God's just been showing me ways that he's gonna show up and pour into his people. We do so much talking about reaching out, almost to like flip the, the script a little bit. As we're reaching out into the community, go our encounter night is really gonna be a night for God to pour into his people. I believe he wants to pour his spirit out on you afresh. I believe that he wants us to encounter, part of that thought, encounter. Sometimes we say things that we know what we mean and that's okay, but it's not always incredibly theologically accurate, like send your spirit. God sent his spirit. His spirit is here. He didn't like send a little bit and say like, I hope they can do this. Let me just hold on to the rest of it. And we have to like beg it for the, but what it's about is us coming to a place in our hearts where we can encounter what God is already doing, where we can encounter what the spirit is already in the midst of, where we can experience what he's doing. And I believe it's going to be a night for us to encounter his presence in fresh ways and to encounter his spirit in new ways. And I think that it's a night, if you have somebody in your life who's seeking for the things of God, to bring them along with you, for them to encounter and experience his presence. That's this Friday. It's going to be a great time. I hope you guys are there. If you're not there, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to be praying, and I'm going to be worshiping. It's going to be awesome. Can you turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 15? We are... In Luke 15, we have been taking a journey throughout the book of Luke, looking at the uh, different ways that Luke tells the story of Jesus. And Luke 15, verse 7, has really been our core scripture, our rallying cry for the last several weeks and will continue to be for the next few. Luke 15 and 7 says, Just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this season. God, we thank you for what you are doing in our hearts. God, that you are showing up in fresh ways, that you're speaking to us in new ways, that you are meaning uh, to lead us into new places, Father God. God, I thank you right now for your people. I thank you that you have gathered us together, God, with a yes in our spirit and a yes in our heart and a yes in our calendars and a yes in our wallets, God, that we say whatever you're doing, God, that's what we wanna be right in the midst of. And that over this next several weeks, God, that you would continue to open our hearts towards the one. God, the one person that you have put in our path, the one person who is seeking, the one person who has wandered off Jesus, we just declare right now in the spirit that you are leading us and guiding us to the one, the one who is waiting and longing for an invitation, the one who is waiting and longing and seeking to find you, Jesus. And we declare over their lives that this is about to be their season of a yes, that we are gonna experience such rejoicing Rejoicing, Father God, for the ones who return, for the one who comes back, for the one who never knew that they were apart, God, that you are bringing them back into this place, that you are bringing them back into relationship with you. And we speak over every hindrance, we speak over every boundary, we speak over every barrier, over every lie and every falsehood that would try and keep them in separation from you, that it must come down. 
And I declare over your people a fresh hunger to run after the one. God, we thank you for it. As we step into today's message, God, I ask you to give me strength, to give me clarity, and God, for you to move us from where we were to where we will be. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Throughout the book of Luke, he is telling us this reoccurring thought, this reoccurring theme that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That there are those who are not part of the kingdom of God, that there are those who are not part of the people of God, and Jesus came to find them all. Luke loves to repeat and to recur and to bring us back to this message that Jesus did not come for an elect group and Jesus did not come just for one group and that Jesus did not come to be in relationship and to save and to bring into his kingdom just the group that you think, just the group that you assume. See, there were a lot of assumptions about who this Messiah would come for. And Luke is trying to tell us that when Jesus came, it rocked everyone's assumptions about what this thing was gonna look like. And throughout Luke's gospel and really throughout all of the gospels, there are three groups of people that we continue to see Jesus in conversation with. There are three groups of people that we continually see Jesus interacting with. The first group that you see Jesus coming to speak with and coming into contact with time and time again is a group that is categorized as sinners. Jesus is constantly bucking the system and upsetting the status quo and challenging people's assumptions by coming in close contact and conversation with those who are deemed sinners. Those who are not the palatable of society, those who were not welcome at all of the tables, those who for many instances were not even welcome into the place of worship because the status of their life or the status of their rituals had left them so on the outside that they were no longer welcome among the people of God. And Jesus keeps continually coming into contact and into relationship with these people. And it's frustrating to everyone who thought they knew what this thing was gonna be about, to everyone who thought that they were worthy of being in contact with Jesus. Here comes another sinner that he's gonna sit down with. Here comes another adulterous person that he's gonna bend down and forgive. Here comes another tax collector that he's gonna call to be in relationship with him. Here comes another blind person or unclean person, another poor person, and Jesus is gonna stop and talk to them. And every time, he has really three things that he communicates to them. The first thing that he communicates to them, whether in word or in action, is that I see you, that you are seen. They lived so much of their life on the outskirts of society and on the edge of what it was to be acceptable that these people were often used to living in a space where people just walked by them. They were overlooked. They were intentionally avoided. 
People crossed on the other side of the road so they didn't have to deal with the awkwardness of coming in contact with this person who really shouldn't even, it was, they were a burden on society and they were a burden on the name of the Jewish people and they weren't what they wanted to be around and it's easier sometimes for us to just not look at the parts of our community that we'd rather pretend like aren't there. And so instead of looking on those who were sick and instead of looking on those who were poor and instead of looking on those who found themselves in desperate situations, they just looked in the other direction. And one of the things you'll discover when you go out this week to volunteer into places and into corners of our city and of our community is that though we live in a beautiful place and though we have a wonderful community to be part of, there are many people in our city who are hurting and who are broken and who feel overlooked and who feel unseen. And when you go into those places and you go into those spaces, I want you to remember that when Jesus walked by the blind and when Jesus walked by the crippled and why Jesus walked by the tax collector who had been kicked out. He didn't walk by and turn and look the other way. He looked right at them. And he said, I see you here. And then he reached out to them with healing. Healing for their body and healing for their mind and deliverance for their spirit. Whatever they found themselves in the crux of. If blindness had crippled them, he gave them sight. If deafness held their hearing, he gave them hearing. If their soul was tormented by demonic oppression, he released them into a new freedom that they never thought was possible. Whatever they needed, he released a healing over their life. And then he would say, and sin no more. And find a new way. And find a new path for your life. Don't get stuck in this place of sin. Don't get stuck in this place of being broken. Don't get stuck in this identity of who you used to be or who you once were. Come into a new path that I have for you. Come into a new place of holiness. Come into a new place of right relationship with God. Come into the newness of who you have just encountered. And the thing that I want to remind you is that Jesus never sat down with somebody in their sin and hung out with them in their sinning. He was so convinced of who he was and he so permeated holiness and righteousness and goodness and faithfulness that he knew that it was just one encounter with him that would draw someone out of their sinful living and into a life of holiness. Believer, be like Jesus. Don't get yourself caught up and twisted around and using the excuse of, well, Jesus was always found with sinners. I know that you find yourself with sinners, but my question is, are they looking more like Jesus because they're looking more like you, or are you looking more like them because you haven't really been permeated by his righteousness and his holiness? Is it that you are trying to reach them, or is it that you haven't quite lost the taste for sin in your life? Is it that you still kind of wish you could have it both ways, and you want to be 
holy on Sunday, but then you want to go and you want to be able to shoot it up on the weekend as well? Is it that you want to be able to be holy in your life group, but you want to be able to go and gossip with the boys on Friday night? Is it that you haven't lost the taste of sin, or is it that you're so convinced of his full salvation of who you are that you know that the righteousness that has grabbed hold of your life when it demonstrates the way that you have been changed and transformed that it will find you in places and in spaces that are unlikely and that people assume that you never had any business being in and when you go into those places the truth of who he is begins to flow out yes you should be found at tables with sinners but you should be found at tables with those who are broken and who are hurting to bring them up out of that place of brokenness and of hurting and introduce them to a Jesus that when they encounter him it changes and it shifts everything in their life he told them sit no more and be holy and the next group he talks to a lot knew a lot about holiness they were the Pharisees and the Pharisees get a bad rap because they often are the antagonist in the story And for rightful reason, they sat at tables with Jesus and oftentimes totally missed what was going on in front of them. But what I think can be said for the Pharisees is that they were passionate about holiness. They were passionate about making sure that they found themselves in right standing with God. The trouble with the Pharisees is that they caught the letter and they missed the heart. They understood the words. They understood the words in great detail. They knew how to talk about God and they knew how to recite scripture and they knew how to tell you who he was and they knew how to describe the characteristics of God and they knew how to describe the creation narrative and they knew how to tell you about the books of the prophets and what Isaiah said and what Isaiah said about who the Messiah would be. But for some reason, when the Messiah sat in front of of them they couldn't identify him because they had a lot of assumptions about what this moment was going to be like and they had a lot of assumptions about who he was calling them to be and they just would prefer to sit around and to talk and to discuss all the things about God and I am cautious of people who know how to talk a lot about God but don't look anything like God They knew how to describe him, but they didn't know how to be transformed by him. They knew how to tell you his laws and his precepts, but they didn't know how to let their heart be softened for those who were hurting. It makes me nervous when somebody knows how to talk about God a lot but doesn't look more like God. I hear these things a lot when someone says to me, oh, he's great. We talk about God all the time. Oh, he grew up in church. Then why is he inviting you back to his place late at night? I know he knows how to talk about God. Does he know how to live like God? I know she's spiritual. But does she look like Jesus? Not can you guys talk about it over a meal? Can you guys live like it? Not does your relationship talk about, the Pharisees talked about God all of the time. And while they talked about God, they walked past the poor and the needy. 
And while they talked about God, they sat at a table with Jesus and missed that God in flesh was sitting before them. The Pharisees were those who knew how to talk about God but didn't know how to be changed by God, didn't know how to be transformed by God, didn't know how to look more like him a little bit every day. And the third group that Jesus is talking to constantly is the disciples. Now, the disciples are deeply aware of their uh, of their uh, brokenness. The disciples are deeply aware of their, their shortcomings and their failings. The disciples did not grow up leading into this place of being spiritual leaders. They were not being on the track to be the priest at their local, at their local temple. No, the disciples found themselves in an unlikely place of following Jesus. And in the unlikely place of following Jesus that they found themselves, the disciples all of the sudden find out that they are being trained to be more like Jesus. Jesus' conversations with the disciples have more of an aspect of breaking down everything that they see. It has more of an aspect of trying to prepare them for the thing that he is getting ready to do, which is to send them out to be his voice in the city and to be his voice in all of the earth. He is preparing them to be his messengers, to be those who would go on his behalf. Jesus is preparing these disciples, but time and time again, we still see that the disciples have a lot of assumptions. Though they see that they are sitting with God, they still have a lot of assumptions about what this this is going to look like because they thought that the Messiah was coming for a total upheaval they're waiting until we go and we tackle the political forefront of what's happening they're waiting until we go for a government overthrow so that you can be established as King Jesus and their assumptions are leading them to a place of constantly looking and trying to find what is Jesus doing. Our assumptions can lead us down paths and can lead us into places. Because what happens when we assume is that we assume something is going to work out in a certain way. And because we assume that that is the truth or because we assume that that's the path that we find ourselves walking on, we begin to gather evidence that makes sense for the assumption that we have made. Let me give you an example. If I assume nobody likes me, or how about this one? These are two very similar assumptions and I hear them from different spectrums of the age brackets. What I hear from young people is I assume that nobody likes me and nobody wants me around. And what I hear from this end over here, the older end of the age bracket, is everybody's done with me and nobody wants me around anymore. And both of these people this week <clears throat> will sit and will go, look at everyone out volunteering at their Go Local projects. I'm not part of any Go Local projects. Nobody likes me. Nobody wants me around. Everybody's done with me. Nobody wants me around anymore because I'm not out volunteering at a Go Local project. And that's the fact that I've gathered that builds on my assumption. But here's the real fact. Here's the real fact. There have been about five emails that went out 
that said, would you like to participate in a Go Local project? There have been two platform announcements that have said, we would love for you to be part of a Go Local project. Are you in a life group? Because life groups sign up together to go out to volunteer for a Go Local project. But my assumption drives the facts that I grab onto and hold onto and try and build a truth around. Our assumptions direct what we see in a story and the realities that we live in and the places that we find ourselves in. And the disciples found themselves in exactly that kind of a space. They thought that Jesus was coming for a complete overthrow. They thought Jesus was coming for a complete overthrow. They thought that he was coming for a political upheaval. And so they started gathering facts around their assumption that this is why Jesus was coming. And they start looking around and they're saying, Jesus, crowds are gathering everywhere. I think there might be enough of us now. And they start looking and saying, Jesus, you're getting the attention of some of the higher ups. You're getting the attention of those who have authority and who have power. I think it might be time. I think it might be time for us to overthrow. I think it might be time for us to go up and to, I think this is a moment. And I can just hear Jesus going, I can't, I did not come to overthrow something politically. I did not come for a political upheaval. What he's trying to get, he said, this is not, when I came to establish my kingdom, I'm not looking to sit on a physical throne and I'm not looking to be acknowledged by the rulers of your domain and I'm not looking to be celebrated by the political parties that you want to celebrate me. No, I came to establish my kingdom and my kingdom is a lot more like a banquet than it is a political upheaval. And Jesus is trying to get them to change the assumptions that they have. And he tells them this story in Luke 14. Luke 14, I think it starts in verse 15. Luke 14 and 15 says, When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, being Jesus, said to him, a man once gave a great banquet, and he invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have them excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things. I always feel bad for the servant. Like, can you imagine? I mean, it's, it's a parable, but still, I feel for him. And reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry, and he said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And so the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges, and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. 
Jesus tells this story to this man. And if you read it in the full context of the chapter, he's just finished telling them all, hey, when you have a banquet, don't just invite all of the people that will then invite you back to their house, which is still something we do today. You invite people over for dinner or maybe you go out to eat and whoever had the dinner or whoever paid, you kind of have this unspoken social expectation that next time they'll invite you over or next time they'll cover the bill. We kind of go back and forth and that's a nice thing to do. But Jesus said, when you do that, you're repaid. But when you invite people who can't pay for you, when you invite people who have no space to invite you back to in return, then your payment is not here. Your payment is in the resurrection. It's in the kingdom. It's in the eternal. And this man says back to him, blessed are those who eat bread in the kingdom. And I think you have to hear the tone in the man's voice. There is an assumptive tone in his response to Jesus that won't it be nice when me and you are eating bread in the kingdom together. He has a feeling that he's doing just fine and he is gonna find himself eating bread in the kingdom. And you always know you haven't hit it quite right when Jesus goes into story form. Jesus says, I want to tell you a story about a man who had a banquet. And he tells them this story. And in this story, there are three groups of people who get invited to come. The first group are the people that you would assume can come. The people that you would assume should be invited and he says that he sent out the invitation and he asked them to come. And the way the invitation would work is that there would be a first invitation saying, hey, a banquet is being held two weeks from now and we want you to be part of it. And then on the day of the banquet, when everything was ready, a servant would go and say, the banquet is now ready. You can now come. So these guys have not been pounced upon unexpectedly. They, there is no reason that they should not have supposed that the day of the banquet and the moment of the banquet was coming. They have been given forewarning. They have been given plenty of advance notice. This is not like when your bestie calls you and says, hey, let's go get dinner right now. And you're like, can I adjust my plans or can I not adjust my... They have known that this is coming. But when the servant goes, they have excuses for why they can't come. I think their excuses actually fall in two categories. They have financial excuses and they have family excuses. My work needs me, my land needs me, what I'm building in my wealth needs me and it's more important than what's happening here and my wife needs me. But you knew you were getting married, right? When this invitation came out, you knew that that was happening, right? And that these are the things, what excuses are we making? When Jesus calls us, when Jesus says, I have need of you, when Jesus says, there's something that I want you to be part of, what excuses are we making about why we can't come in? 
And here's the problem with their excuses is that their excuses reveal that they didn't value the banquet and that they didn't value the master and that they had become a little bit too comfortable with being invited to all of the fancy places and to all of the finer things and to having access to come and to sit at the table with someone so esteemed in their community that he would serve a massive banquet and invite them to be part of it. And their comfortability gives them the confidence to come up with an excuse that says, nah, I'll catch you next time. And we have to be careful when we assume that we have more time than we do. We have to be careful when we assume that there will be another opportunity and another invitation. Sometimes we live like we are gonna live for forever. And sometimes we live like there is no urgency in the present moment. I'll get to writing that book that I know God has asked me to write. I'll get to opening that business that I keep saying I'm gonna open. I'll get to going back to school. I'll get to making that relationship right. I'll get to this thing and I'll get to that thing as if the time will go on forever. I'll get to making my relationship right with God. Someday I'll show up. Someday I'll prioritize that. Someday I'll value it. I'll catch you at the next banquet. And it says the servant comes back and the master is angry, but he pivots quickly. And he says to his servant, go out into the city and gather for me all the blind, all the crippled, all the people that no one assumes have any right to be invited into this place. And he sends him out. He sends him not to stay in the house, not to stay at the banquet, not to stay where they were at the table waiting and wondering and hoping maybe they'll show up later or maybe they'll show up late or maybe if we just sit here and open the door and sing a little song, it'll draw them into our banquet. He says, go out into the city and invite them to come in and do it quickly. Don't delay. Don't act like this food is going to stay good all week. Go out right now. Go out and find them. And it says that the servant does it quickly because before he knows it, he says to the master, I've done what you've commanded. And there's still room. What kind of a feast must this man have prepared? That he goes out and he finds all in their city who have nowhere to eat and he goes out and he finds in their city all of those who are hurting and all of those who have been unwelcomed in other places and he gathers them and he brings them in and he says, I looked around and there's still room here. And the picture is twofold. Scripture is always so multi-layered for the meta and for the micro at the same time, which is that <clears throat> can we ever fill the kingdom of God. There is always more room in his house. There is always more room for those who are searching and those who are hungry and those who need a place and a space to be brought into his presence. It doesn't, heaven is not gonna max out someday. I think that's really good news because Christians have been Christianing for a long time and I, if it was going to max out, 
we would all be in trouble. That's just my hunch, that we've already missed the cutoff at this point. He said, I want for it to be filled. And then the micro on that is look around you. There is still room. There is room. I'm not talking metaphorically. If you can see an empty seat next to you, that is someone in our city who is hurting, who is struggling, who is in need. That is someone in our community who is waiting for someone to come and to tell them, come into the place. Come to the banquet. There's room for you. And the master has invited you to come and to sit at his table. If there's space around you, if there's room next to you, there is still more room. I want you to grab a card on the way out and I want you to think about who God is speaking to you. Who is the one, the one family, the one person that God is directing you to say, come into the banquet. And when he looks around and he says, I've gone into the city and I've told everyone in the city that I can and I've gathered them and I've come in. Then he says, great, go into the highways and into the hedges. He says, make the circle even broader than you did. I want you to go after a third group of invitations and go all the way out to the highways. The highways would have been the farthest edge of the city and the farthest edge of the community out to the place that connected that city and this city city together. He says, I want you to go all the way out there and see who you can find that's wandering and see who you can find that's gotten lost and see who you can find that's on their way here and need someone to tell them when you make it to the town, I know where you can go. And I know a feast that's already prepared for you. And he tells them, and I want you to go to the hedges, to the hidden places, to the place with those who aren't even able to be seen, to the place for those who people have stopped looking for. Go to the hidden place behind the hedge and look for them and seek them and bring them to my banquet. And he says, I want you to compel them to come. Convince them. Persuade them. Don't give up until they come to this banquet because I need for this banquet to be full. When you go out and you go to the highways and you go to the hedges, you're going to those who feel like they are unworthy, who feel like there is no place for them, who feel like there is no space for them, who have been told that they are unwanted and they are unwelcome to come and to sit at the banquet. And so when the master sends the servant, he tells him, when you reach the highways and when you reach the hedges, don't just send an easy invite. I want you to compel them to come. And I think the way that the servant compelled them to come is that he told hungry people how great the banquet is. He went and he found hungry, desperate people. And he said, Let me tell you how the table has been set. Let me tell you how the salads have all been laid out. Let me tell you about how the sides are plentiful and are overflowing. Let me tell you how the roast has been prepared and it's been cut and it's waiting for you. Let me tell you about all of the sweet things and all of the dessert. Let me tell you about all of the wonderful things that have been prepared for you at this table. 
And if you're hungry, and if you're thirsty, and if you're longing, and if you're desperate, and if you're hurting, if you're cold, and if you're weary, if you're worn out, and you find yourself in need of a place to be filled, and you find yourself in need of a place to get warm, if you find yourself in need of a place to be wrapped in love and to be welcomed at a table, I know of a banquet that has been prepared for you, and he can them to come to the banquet and in the parable of the story God is the great master who has prepared a banquet and if you have said yes to him you are the servants that he is sending out into the city and sending out into the highways and into the hedges and he's saying I want my banquet to be full. Keep going until it's full. Keep going out until it's all the way filled. You know what the master never tells the servant to do? He never tells the servant to go back to that first group and convince them to come. He never tells the master to go back to the group that had all of the excuses and try and drag them into the banquet. In fact, at the end, Jesus says, I tell you, they will not eat of this table. And I felt like as I was preparing this message, God wanted me to say to many of you today, to stop wasting your energy on the one who has an excuse for you. Because there's someone who is hurting and is hungry and is desperate. And you're spending all of your energy trying to convince the one who has an excuse. And you're missing the moment. You're missing the opportunity to go into the city and to go into the highway and to go into the hedges. And I heard God saying, go after the one. Go after the one that I have sent you to. Go after the one who is waiting to respond. Go after the one who is sitting there just saying, I wish, I wish I would be invited in. I wish someone would come and ask me I wanted to be a part of that. I wish that I was ever allowed to come and sit at the table. God says, go after that one. Go after that one. The one that you have assumed shouldn't be at the table is the one he's sending you after. And I want to pray for us today in just a moment that God would give us clarity and passion and a grace for inviting the one, for inviting the one into his house. I believe there is an anointing for invitation. What do I mean by that? The anointing makes what could be hard easy. When you find yourself in an anointing for invitation, you gear yourself up. You're like, okay, I'm gonna talk to my neighbor today. And I've got like my four routes. 
and you go, hey, I was wondering, we've got <clears throat> some services, we've got this encounter night thing coming up, and I wondered if you wanna come, and they're like, yeah, yes. And you're like, oh, but I was, I was gonna tell you why it was gonna be so good. I was gonna, I had some, you don't have kids stuff, cause I had some, I had some counters for your kids. And they're like, no, I'd love to go. It's easy when you're in the anointing. When you have an anointing for the invitation. When you have an anointing where God says, that one, that's who I'm sending you after. When you have an anointing to go after our city. When you have an anointing to go out into the community. When you have an anointing to find the hedges. Some of you have like a hedgy anointing. It's like, who's hiding? Who's hiding from the invitation? And God's gonna give you an anointing to go after those who are hiding, those who are waiting. If you can stand in this room, that's gonna be our prayer right now, that there is an anointing coming, an anointing on your life. Luke's message is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, to find everyone. Luke's message is that Jesus is here for all of us. And that means that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, that he is training you and preparing you to send you into his city. And that means that there is a grace and an anointing for you to do the thing that he's sending you to do. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're moving in this room. I thank you for your mighty power. And we ask for an anointing for the invitation. God, we ask for an anointing that you would send us to those who are hungry and are waiting. God, we're sorry for every time we've overlooked because of our own assumptions, the people that you have sent us to. God, we repent of it and we say, send us to whoever you would send us to. God, I ask for your people for a fresh stirring a fresh longing for our city. God, let our hearts break and our hearts cry out for these people, for the place that you have called us. And God, for the heartbreak of hearing excuses. God, we say we lay it all at your feet. It's all before you, Jesus. And we acknowledge that we might not be the one for that one. God, we acknowledge that you haven't called us to go back, but that you've called us to seek those who are ready to say yes to an invitation. I thank you right now, God that names and that faces coming into our hearts, into our minds. And we just put a prophetic yes in the atmosphere. 
God, we put a prophetic yes out in front of us that those that you've sent us to, God, would come quickly. We thank you for your yes, Jesus. We thank you for it, Jesus. And there's one more yes in the room. Gathered here in this room, there are those of us who are saying, today is my day to say yes to Jesus. I'm one who's been sitting on the outside. Maybe I'm one who can talk a lot about Jesus, but I don't think that I've been transformed by him. I don't think that I've been walking for him. Or maybe you were brought into this space by a loved one. Or maybe you stumbled here through a Google ad, but you say, I have felt Jesus today. And today is my day to say yes to following him. If that's you today, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are, all across the room. I see you over here, sir. I see hands going up in the balcony up there, sir. You're saying yes. Today is my day. I see you, sir. And we're going to pray this prayer all together. A prayer that doesn't have magic words, but a prayer that seals the yes that you've already made. The whole church together saying it will say, Jesus, I say yes to you today. I admit and I acknowledge that I am a sinner, but I wanna be like you. So thank you that you call me your own. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your burial. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you that you live in me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. We're celebrating with you, sir, and with you, sir, with you over there, sir. Today is a good day. Come on, church, you can be doing better than that. It said there's more rejoicing in heaven over the one who comes home than the 99 who didn't need to come home. And today, some people came home. Amen, amen, amen. Church, I want to remind you as you go out, grab invitations, send text messages, call those who need to be called because we are inviting people home to the banquet. We're going to have an incredible week this week, volunteering at our Go Local Projects work, and it's all going to culminate in a night of worship together. And tomorrow is going to be an incredible tomorrow. Next Sunday is going to be an incredible message back here together as we keep ramping up towards Easter. We love you, church. We're so proud of you. Honored to call this our home, and we'll talk real soon. Be blessed.